What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Beyond the Coast podcast. Today's guest is Amaya Atil. How are you, Amaya? Thanks for joining me. Thank you. I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. So tell us a little bit about yourself. We've obviously talked a little bit off air. Um, so you're from Antigua. I have yeah. to say, um, my geography is quite poor and I'd never heard of it before. And I Googled it and now I think I've got a new vacation uh, spot oh. on the list. You're more than welcome to go to Antigua. So there's we have 365 beaches, so you will never have a dull day. So whenever you can, head on down. But yeah, awesome. I'm, I'm from Antigua uh, originally, but my dad is British. So um, I've lived here for a bit. I'm sure we'll get into that a little later. And I've lived in Canada and the States. So kind of an amalgamation of places. I'm pretty transatlantic. Yeah, I mean, so you're obviously born there. You grew up playing golf there. And as you mentioned, you played golf in, in Canada and in, in the US, all over the, Korea, the Caribbean as well. And then now you're in the UK. So how is the golf game, you know, where you were born and where you're from in comparison to, say, the UK or the US? Yeah. So, I mean, I started playing when I was five and it was uh, just kind of having fun on the golf course. Right. So uh, it was meeting people who were my age that were going through the same lessons, meeting all my friends on the golf course that now I've grown up and we're all still friends and playing golf in various capacities. Um, Antique is a bit dry. Uh, They have like the wet and the dry season. So sometimes it can be more like playing off concrete, Um, but we have beautiful courses when we do get rain, especially. Um, so when you go down, you can also play some golf, which is great. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that was wonderful. When I was, um, I played golf for 15 years, maybe up until like my late teens before I went to university. And that included things like um, playing a regional competition. So we used to travel throughout the Caribbean, competing against other kids in the Caribbean, which was really fun. Um, and getting to see the other islands was beautiful. And that was a really robust time for junior golf back in the 90s i'm aging myself i'm sorry uh and then i did a couple of tours in north america where i played in north carolina and south carolina as a junior i can't remember the names of the tours now it's been so long um yeah and then i came to the uk to do my uh studies and i just kind of gave it all up um yeah yeah so you studied law right that's what you (laughs) you studied in and then you took what was it a 10-year breakout from golf Actually, I was doing the math the other day because my math sucks and it was actually almost 15 years. <laughs> so wow. uh, the, the gap between 10 and 15 is quite high, but that's just my maths for you. <laughs> but yeah, I came here, I did my A-levels, did university, did bar school. Um, so I was here for a good six or seven years and then moved back to the Caribbean. And all that time I wasn't playing golf because I was in central London studying and it doesn't kind of lend itself to playing golf. Um, even though I still kind of live in central London now, I found ways but as a student, it was just kind of difficult and I was really enjoying student life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who does it right? But just to put kind of like a timeline on it then. So how long, you know, up until what age were you living in Antigua and, uh, you know, how was the golf going there? What kind of handicap did you get to? Okay. Give us a little bit of timeline with that. Yeah. So let's say 1993, when I was five uh, until I was 16, I was playing in Antigua, 16, 17. Uh, and then I moved to the UK. So in Antigua, I was a six, I think, handicap. I got to about a six. Um, yeah, I think that's the lowest I'd gotten to before I left mm-hmm. uh, and then came to England at 16, which uh, I can't do the math to tell you what the year was. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I think it was 2004 or five. And what were the opportunities like growing up there? And what are they like now? Has it progressed quite a lot? 
Uh, yeah, so as I said, I kind of grew up in a really robust time for junior golf where there was a lot of investment from the clubs into junior golfers. So what you do was each golf course in each island would have their monthly big competitions and they'd have a junior segment for it. So we'd always be included in all of the major tournaments, men, women, and juniors. Um, and then there was the group of islands called Organization of Eastern Caribbean States, which is the smaller islands. Um, we had a, an association that would also fund us traveling. Unfortunately, it's not the same anymore. It kind of died off. I'm not sure who was in charge and how the leadership changed, um, but it's no longer as robust, unfortunately. However, in Antigua, we do have some incredible people doing work with junior golfers right now. There's a page called Striving for Success Antigua, um, where you've got one of the junior golfers I actually grew up with has come back to Antigua and is actually putting a lot of time and work into developing the junior game in Antigua right now. So locally, we're doing quite a lot, um, but regionally, it's kind of stymied a little bit. And is that something that yourself is involved with as well now? And, and what sort of things are you doing to help out with that? Yeah, so uh, when I was living, I, I was working in Antigua for a few years. Um, we, well, one of the things I did was I'd help out with some of the junior uh, programs on a Saturday, not very often because I still wasn't full time back into golf. I wasn't, just wasn't playing. Um, I hosted a junior golf tournament in October of last year. I sponsored one called Girls Who Golf. It was spe specifically for the, the girl golfers we had on the course, um, which was great. We had two age groups. We had them playing. I think the smaller group, we had them playing like three holes and the other one did six. Um, we had some great prizes and it was just really fun. Um, masks and toe and everything. So we were, you know, COVID compliant. Um, but it was so that was one of the other things I've done. Um, and the last thing I did, I participated in a webinar recently where it was junior golfers through this page called Empowerment Through Golf, which again is another girl who grew up on the golf course with me. Uh, she has this nonprofit that encourages junior golfers to get into the golfing space. Um, I participated in that webinar to talk about career paths and you know what non-golf career paths look like while keeping golf as a hobby kind of thing. So yeah. those are some of the things I've done. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. But, and you can obviously relate to that, can't you? Because so you started to do your studies, which, you, which, as I said, was law. And so let's say it's 10 to 15 years that you took off golf and then you got back into it all of a sudden. So tell us a little bit about that. Why did you get back into golf and you know, what were the reasons behind that? Yeah, the pandemic was driving me crazy. I was indoors for almost a whole year working from home and I was just like, man, this, this kind of sucks. And I think it was taking a toll on my mental health. I just kind of started to feel a little low and you know how winter is, you know, when it's winter, you don't feel as motivated to go outside and run or walk or, sure. you know, so I was kind of struggling with getting outdoors. So as soon as uh, golf courses opened again in I think end of March or April, I was like, why not? <laughs> let's, let's, let's go to a golf course. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that's kind of what got me going out again. And I, I kind of, I really needed that. Um, but it was a really difficult journey to transition back into golf, not having my equipment and having to start from scratch. It was really expensive. Um, and in some ways a little inaccessible. Uh, so that's kind of why I started the golf interrupted, uh, Instagram page separate to my personal page, because I wanted to kind of highlight those challenges, because if I'm working as a lawyer in central London, you'd think I'd be able to very easily afford to get back into golf, and it wasn't the case. No. 
I mean, yeah, I saw in your stories, I think you were getting on the bus with your golf clubs, stuff like that. So, I mean, it's, but it's, but as you said, it, you know, it's very difficult. I imagine more so in London, um, you know, just trying to get about and get to the courses is a challenge there, I imagine. Oh yeah, definitely. So, I mean, if we, if we think about when you're starting out, this is me as a player or someone who's played in the past, right? So maybe I don't need to start with a coaching element, right? Or like the group mm-hmm. class element. So there were a few things that I had to do. So I had to get my own set of clubs period. Um, and that, that in itself, like I got the cheapest clubs I could find on American golf I actually got scammed. I went on Facebook marketplace and bought golf clubs and I got scammed. They were oh, not what they were said they were, unfortunately. Um, so I had to, that was kind of sunk money and I had to buy another set of clubs. Um, and then you have to get your golf bag and your ball and your glove. And you know, that, that you haven't even stepped on a course yet, <laughs> But preparing to get there is really expensive. So then I also located um, a group class where this pro at a club in West London, um, he did like women's classes on a Sunday. And I thought, okay, this is a good place to kind of try and re-enter and see where I'm at um, in terms of my ability. So I would go every Sunday to West Middlesex Golf Club where Will Lambert was the pro at the time and just kind of make connections with the women there and see where my golf game was and it wasn't there <laughs> like just the first week yeah I mean I was I was going to ask you during that period then of 10 to 15 years are we talking literally not picked up a club or you know just kind of went to the range now and again but or literally nothing we're talking if my friends in Antigua would trash talk me hard enough I'd go out and play around or on Father's Day every year I'd play with my dad so it was not mm-hmm. not pick up a club it was like three times a year kind of thing yeah so you mentioned the club there that you've that you've been playing at now and you're doing tournaments there like what, what are you up to at the moment with golf then are you just playing local tournaments or are you playing throughout the UK yeah so I've been up to a few things so I joined Brent Valley which is uh, close to my area as well because it's a council course so it was way more affordable for me to join um, as a member there And I was playing a lot of local tournaments from, uh, when did I join? Maybe May until now, um, where, yeah, I was just doing club tournaments and kind of trying to get my handicap down. Then I started playing uh, in Middlesex. Uh, So I've played, um, we had a West Middlesex uh, golf tournament the other day, and then we have one at White Green and Enfield. And, you know, so a group of us from my club are playing together in teams or going together to these tournaments, but playing individually. Um, So that's what's going on. I was also uh, invited to go to the Aramco um, team up uh, competition in Spain. Uh, So I got to play internationally, imagine that as an amateur. And kind of looking ahead, I'd really like to continue uh, or try and build my profile to play as an amateur golfer on a particular tour next year. Haven't, I'm not sure how to get there, but Maybe we can talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get onto your, your kind of future plans, but I would like to, to hear a little bit more about that experience in Spain. Um, how did that come about? How did you get invited out there? And just tell us a little bit about that experience. That was incredible. So it was really luck. Um, so the Aramco social media page put out a call for people to submit videos and say why they deserved uh, to be an amateur and play with all of these ladies, European tour professionals. Um, so I post, I, I kind of spammed them with a couple of videos because I had so much content from me. playing. <laughs> so I kind of uh, posted a whole bunch of videos and I was like, 
I deserve this because, you know, representation is so important and I don't always see people that look like me. And I'd really like this opportunity to show people that there are people that look like me out here golfing and loving it. Um, and yeah, I got the, the message one day. They're like, you're the winner. And I think I was coming up the elevator with my husband after the gym when I got that message. And as soon as I got, I jumped so high, I'm five foot two. I jumped so <laughs> high. I almost touched the roof of our apartment building. And I was like, I just couldn't believe it. So the experience itself, I mean, it was a little strenuous because we had to COVID, do COVID tests like every two days. We we're in a tournament bubble. We weren't allowed to go and see uh, any part of Spain. So it was really golf focused. Um, but it was inspiring. You go out there and you see the pros practicing, just watching their swings changes your own swing speed. Um, just watching them practice makes you feel motivated to go putt for hours like they are. Um, but it was also nerve wracking because here I am with like three professional women and I'm like, can I, do I remember how to drive the ball today? I don't know. <laughs> so there were a lot of facets to it, but honestly, it, it was unforgettable. And I hope that whoever gets the, uh, the New York, whoever wins the New York leg enjoys it as much as I did, honestly. Yeah, I mean, spending that time on the range with, with the pros must have been really beneficial as well. I mean, what was the biggest thing you kind of took away from that? Was it something to do with, you know, related to golf, whereby it's like, oh, maybe I should start to do this. This is what the pros do. Or were you just having too much fun to kind of focus on that kind of stuff? It was a mix of both. I think I was really overwhelmed. So I think it was I, I did learn a lot about um, the stillness and the calmness that professional golfers have to uh, exercise every day. Uh, you can't get overly emotional about having a bad shot because you've got 18 more holes to go, or you've got 10 more holes. To, you can't, you just can't lose yourself. And I'm quite an emotional, expressive person. So kind of watching them be very calm and stoic, disappointed, but move quickly, move on to the next shot and forget about what you just did was really a lesson for me in that if I have a bad shot on the 14th hole, I'm going to be mad about it until the end. <laughs> like I've ruined my score. I don't know how I'm going to come back from this. Um, so yeah, that was a really good lesson for me just to keep, hold it together. You can always pull it back. That was one lesson. The other one, the other lesson was I can't put to save my life and I need some lessons. Um, and then I think the third lesson was uh, it doesn't matter how uh, good a player you think you are you put in the work to get better. You know, the talent does not amount to anything if you don't practice. And I saw that with all of the pros, their, their practice ethic was insane. So that was a lesson. Those were all the three. I mean, did you find that there was like one particular thing that they, that they work on? I mean, I've heard like a lot of pros talking and they tend to focus a lot on the short game, whereas a lot of amateurs maybe don't. Yeah. So it was usually the green and the short game area was packed. And then you'd see them, I think you'd see everybody go to the range to hit, uh, you know, their, their whatever, just practice a few shots, but really and truly they were focused on the greens and the short game area. Um, and that was a surprise to me because, you know, I go to my club and I go in the nets, yep. but I don't do putting, which is why I can't putt. <laughs> so it was, that was- Nobody wants to do the boring stuff, right? <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> they really don't. Um, also, actually, one thing, one, one other thing I learned is the importance of a caddy. Uh, so I was able to... Did you get like a local caddy while you were there? 
Yeah. So I wasn't necessarily supposed to get one, but something happened and he was rearranged and then assigned to me. So I was like, oh, okay. I've never had somebody tell me what to use before. So let's see. I'm also very, I feel like I'm very in control and independent. So I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. Within three holes, he learned my game and he was telling me exactly what club to hit based on his observations. And he was telling me, giving me tips as to where to go. And when I tell you, I wanted to put him in my pocket and bring him with me to the UK. I'm not joking. <laughs> it's just like, just come home with me. Because he was so, I just couldn't believe that taking the thought process away from you frees you to just think about what you need to do in the in that moment with your swing. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I loved that. And yeah, big perk of being a professional golfer. Big, big perk. I mean, what would you normally do? Like if you played in a local tournament here, would it be your husband just helping you out? Or would you have somebody here that does it for you? No. Nobody? I mean, I, let's say I were to, to play a, a tournament where somebody was to caddy for me. I'd probably bring my husband to caddy, but he wouldn't like it. He'd <laughs> <laughs> probably just like, oh my God, it's hot. <laughs> Why am I walking out here? Yeah. So I don't have anybody who do that. I do have a lot of friends worldwide who play golf in various capacities. I have a friend who's a pro golfer. Um, so if it was something I could invite her to do, I would more likely invite her to come. Yeah. I mean, one important thing that I want to, that we want to talk about on here that I know you're very passionate about is the representation of, of, uh, well, I think everybody in golfers, but you mentioned it in terms of being a a black woman. So tell us a little (laughs) bit about the importance of this, you know, again, what are you doing to try and improve this awareness? Yeah. So when I was growing up, the biggest The biggest player was Tiger Woods, obviously. Um, And it was an inspiration for all of us to see somebody who looked like us on TV playing the sport that we loved. And it made us love the sport more. I remember there was a career day in my high school. People came as doctors, lawyers. I came in a red shirt, black pants and a Nike hat saying I wanted to be Tiger Woods. Like that was the kind of impact his presence had on all of us, right? And I don't know if I would have done that for a Jack Nicholas and as iconic as he is and amazing as he is. I did, it's not the same, it doesn't resonate the same. So I think that's just a personal example. So when I came to the UK, when I started playing again, um, there are a lot of black men on the golf course and that's amazing. You know, like I, I walked into the Brent Valley, my local course, and I saw a lot of uh, men from the Caribbean and, you know, lots of diversity, but then the women uh, are not seeing a lot of black women on the course. And so the importance is, I'll give you an example. Uh, at my local course, one of the guys is a Jamaican guy. He has two kids and they're kind of like in and out of golf. Like they like this, but they like other sports as well. And when his daughter saw me on the golf course, she said, oh, my goodness, she looks like me. And suddenly she's way more interested in trying golf out. Mm-hmm. So it, it really does inspire uh, and you can feel yourself or you can get into something more if you see someone like that looks like you playing or doing it. Right. So sure. what I'm doing at the moment, um, I've taken the time to kind of get to know a few groups around that have the same vision or have, or have built the community before me. Like I'm not doing anything novel. People have come together as groups of people way before I came. Um, and they have some women playing in their group. So I've connected with them. Um, there are a few other groups up North that I'm connecting with. Uh, so I've made various connections and then now I'm going to be hosting a taster event for black women in East London, where they're going to try out golf for the first time. And that's happening this Saturday. 
And we were actually oversubscribed. We had a max number of people and we we're oversubscribed. So we have to now flow it over into the next into another session. So it just goes to show you that if you make the space, if you if you let people know that they're welcome um, and that there's others like them, they will come. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the first step, uh, I think. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I imagine there's, there's a lot of different factors, but is there any particular, I don't want to say a problem, but a reason why you think things aren't happening that should be? I mean, is there one thing that you can put your finger on or is it, is it multiple uh, different things that are happening? I think there are a lot of different things. I think there are various reasons why people start playing golf, right? A lot of people have uh, fathers who play golf uh, or grandfathers who have their clubs in a garage somewhere and you picked it up and you tried it and you're like, oh yeah, okay, this is, this is cool. Um, but in communities that have historically not had the capacity or income levels or been at a, so a certain socioeconomic bracket to be able to play, we don't necessarily have that generational uh, filter down into the younger generation. So that's one factor. And it's interesting that in finding these groups of Black people who are playing, they all come from predominantly or have backgrounds from predominantly Black countries like Antigua, for example, where when I'm in Antigua, it's predominantly Black players, right? Coming here, not so much. So I feel like it's also where you come from. And if you come from a space where you have had the access and then you come here, you just bring it here with you. You know, you continue playing golf. But living in the UK, I. There are few, in, in addition to it being generational, not necessarily having that filter down, there's also an issue in price and access. <laughs> you know, you come onto a golf course and people on golf courses can be very friendly and very welcoming, but you have to feel comfortable entering their space in the first place. And golf courses can be very private, very exclusive, mm -hmm. can feel a little bit unwelcoming. And again, if you don't have somebody that looks like you there, you might think, uh, do I belong? That's, an, that's one. And then again, the expense. Uh, so as I was highlighting earlier, you know, how, what, what golf courses op, uh, offer classes in your area that are affordable. I was super lucky in West London that the classes I was doing were like 10 pounds where you, but you only get like maybe 10 minutes with the, the pro in that hour that you're there because there's a group class. Um, so there's the coaching, there's the clubs, there's the membership fee. So it all kind of escalates. So there's a number of reasons why um, there's kind of this barrier. And I think we sometimes get a little complacent in diversity initiatives when we have one black person, we're like, ah, oh, we did it, checkbox, good to mm -hmm. go. And I feel like it doesn't necessarily go deeper, unfortunately. Yeah, and that's an interesting point because you do see that a lot throughout a lot of sports. I think, um, you know, my first sport is, is football and we notice it that, on, for example, like the pre and post shows that they have, their answer to it right now is just to put a black person on it, whether it's male or female. And as you said, that's kind of like a checkbox, but it has to be more than that. So as well as the multiple reasons, what are some of the things that anybody can do to, to help out, you know, solving these problems? Yeah, I think, so again, I'm going to go back to the classes that were happening uh, I think it could you could go further and having group classes you can specifically cater to more people wider within your community so kind of make connections if you're a pro looking to put on group classes make connections with like areas in your community whether it be like a church or a library or somewhere that's going to have 
someone out of the ordinary than just people coming into your golf course and saying, oh, my cousin would like to play, um, you know, something wider than that, like appealing to that wider audience. That's one. Um, two, I think it's kind of difficult because it, it, it's kind of a cyclical problem. If you don't have the diversity, you're not going to have people coming and feeling more comfortable. So it is kind of attracting those people to you, maybe having flexible memberships where it's not, you have to pay everything up front or um, having cheaper memberships for people who just want to kind of play casually. Um, so those are some of the things you can do. Uh, but again, so much of it rides on how do people find out about your initiatives? Who are you reaching out to? And how are you making the place or your golf course more accessible in terms of price and um, welcoming, how welcoming people feel when they get there? Yeah. And your local club that you've already touched on, Brent Valley, um, you were telling me about how they put on a junior golf program as well for, for communities in the area. So tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yeah, I'm so proud of my little club. So this is actually something they were doing before I got here. So I just I feel like this club and I just get along spiritually, <laughs> like on a spiritual level. Um, that, yeah, so, you know, there's a phenomenal group of people at Brent Valley who've been working on this junior golf program. So they've, they got the funding. And what they're doing now is they're bringing um, local students from local schools in the area to Brent Valley for us to show them what golf is about, to recruit people who might be interested um, in joining the junior golf program. So that's the stage they're at now where we're going to be meeting with the schools and kind of talking to them about golf and showing them how to chip a ball or like letting them hit something or watching us hit a ball to see if they're like super amazed. Hopefully we don't shank it. Um, <laughs> And see how that goes and then the junior we've I think they've already recruited the coach um and then yeah the junior golf program should be starting uh within the next couple of weeks so it should be really interesting and yeah again it's just in the local area you know connecting with your local schools you don't know whose parents of these kids might then be interested to come on down so I think it's it's a nice little funnel into come on down guys try golf for the first time so sure. we'll see how it goes that's good. So as well as all that, you know, we, we said we were going to touch on your your kind of future then. So what does the future look like for you with golf? What have you got planned? I would love to retire from law and play golf the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> that would be <laughs> ideal. Um, yeah, I was really thinking about it. So I think uh, I'm a victim of my own handicap success. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Started off as like a 22 point something in May. And I was like, yeah, this is where I belong. I'm cool with this. And then it kind of escalated a bit quickly. And I'm now at like a 9.7. And I'm, I'm really, I'm really competitive. And I like to challenge myself. So I have these goals next year playing on an amateur tour. Um, so I've looked at the clutch tour, they have an amateur component. And I've really thought about, you know, whether I want to play on it and see if I can get somewhere because there's not enough ladies participating in that tour either like I saw there were maybe like six or seven I was like and for the men it's a whole list of men but I'm like no let's do this let's put ourselves out there so I reached out to another I actually reached out to someone on social media that I've been following who has a similar ish handicap she's way better than I am and I said to her would you be interested in in like prepping to play some amateur tournaments next year and she was like sure so I'm trying to like cultivate that company to do it with me, one, to kind of encourage each other, um, but also to kind of challenge each other to push ourselves forward in the game. So yeah, an amateur tour would be nice. Um, 
we'll see how that goes. Have you been in touch with the the twenty twenty Pro Tour as well? No, not yet. No. That's uh, that's that's one. I mean, I spoke to uh, one of the the co founders of that, Chris Hansen, on the podcast, and I went to one of their events and I met the other co founder, Adam Walker. There, the tour is really really good. It's um it's a mixed tour, so it's kind of the same. It is dominated still by men, but they have let's say eight women on the on the last event that I went to. So that could be a really good option as well. Um, what they're trying to do there, they try to keep it as a mixed tour. Oh, that's wonderful. No, thank you for that. I, I think I do follow the 2020 um, tour. I wasn't sure they had an amateur component. Ooh, okay. Yeah, thank they you. do have they do have some amateurs playing in there, I believe. Um, and they'll, you know, they'll have like a leaderboard, obviously, overall, then they'll have a leaderboard for the amateurs that are taking part. And I believe they do that every single uh, event they have amateurs playing, yeah. How did you enjoy the event when you went? It was awesome. Really, really good. <laughs> Where yeah. was it? Um, so it was at Northcliffe Golf Club. Uh, it's in Shipley, which is not far from Leeds. So I went down there to do some content and cover the event and again, meet Chris and, and Adam and yeah, just get to know the tour really, get to know their events and uh, had a blast. It was, it was amazing. Potentially you're going to play on it next year with me? Uh, I would like to say so, but I'm not good enough. I'm better at talking about golf than I am playing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what we all are <laughs> like true. really we all are <laughs> For sure. I mean what do you feel like you need to do then to kind of get to that level that you want to be at you know you, you said maybe quitting your career but it's a it's a big move and but you need that time don't you to be able to commit yeah I don't think I can I can quit law right now um <laughs> to bank time. on to bank on golf I don't know if I can do that because I'm not that big of a gambler <laughs> but um I think when the winter months are coming, I've never done winter golf. I don't know what this is going to look like, but I feel like it's actually a perfect opportunity to transition to uh, some sort of coaching schedule where I'm getting regular coaching and I'm kind of honing in my game because my short game needs a lot of work. Um, so yeah, I feel like it's the perfect time to start working on weaknesses. So you come out the other end of winter having honed those skills. So that's kind of the plan. My only issue, and again, this is where access uh, and the rubber meets the road in terms of why we don't have diversity in golf. And I think it's now when you're trying to get into these amateur tours, you're not only looking at um, entrance fees, but you're looking at travel costs and accommodation for the golf clubs you're going to. You're also looking at coaching costs. So if you don't have a sponsor, how do you manage? Um, so again, this is, this is going to be my ongoing struggle where I'm going to need to reach out to some uh, sponsors, potential sponsors to see what I can accumulate uh, for next year, because otherwise it's just not possible. And again, this is an example of where we get cut when mm -hmm. people can't afford to enter the space. Yeah, I mean, finance finances is is one of the biggest ones. I think uh, again, with people that I've spoke to that have either made it or not made it, let's say, in trying to be a professional, etc. That yeah. is one of the one of the biggest ones, right? And imagine if you're trying to become a pro, you you literally have worked your butt off to get to like a scratch handicap plus handicap and you still can't get funding. Like mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's even more, it, it makes my struggle uh, less pertinent because I'm just trying to do amateur tours, <laughs> but the yeah. pros should be able to access the tours they need to access. Yeah. And so. then even if you do make it as a professional, you literally, you know, I mean, you, you're basically make, trying to make cuts in order to survive, which then is a whole new struggle in itself. Can you imagine? I just, golf is just so competitive, but it's wonderful and I love it. And 
you know, it's, there's a reason we put ourselves out there like that. And there's a reason yeah. why uh, the pros love what they do. So the challenge is just, it's just such a challenge. I think the, the missing piece for you is the Spanish caddy. Or Man. I don't know if, if, if it was Spanish, but that caddy from Spain. <laughs> I'm going back to Soda Grande to bring him and just be like, listen, I can't pay you, um, yeah. but you, you can help me, right? No, okay. <laughs> It's got part of the deal with the sponsors. It's got to be like, Literally. you've got to chuck in the caddy. Otherwise it's no deal. If I had him, I might not <laughs> even need the coaching, man. Like that's how good he was. <laughs> he made up for all my mistakes. I love it. Yeah. Well, listen, it's been great to talk to you, Maya. Great to meet you. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed this chat with you. And good luck with everything you do in the future with the tournaments. And I hope to, to see you playing in, well, amateur tournaments and hopefully pro tournaments one day. Thank you so much, Alex. I have loved speaking to you. Thank you for connecting with me. And I hope I can convince you to get on an amateur tour some point soon. I will try one day. For everybody that wants to find you, by the way, and check out your, your social media and everything that you're doing, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at uh, golf underscore interrupted um, or my personal account, Amaya Atil. So thank awesome. you very much.